he had like the creepy like animatronic hands, like these long fingers and it was weird, obviously, because, like, there's, like, you know, like, the like the tulip, like, petal face. Yeah. But then, like, his actual face is just, like, right underneath. <laughs> and so I'm just like, hey. Just a dude. Just <laughs> nice a, to meet you. Yeah. And he's on, like, stilts. I'll be your I mean, it's like, it's, like, this tall, it's this huge thing. Nobody believes you Conspiracy when you say theories. you're actually dead. I'm Michael Nathanson, and I'm dead now. Well, no, sorry, not me. My character, Agent Samstein, he died in the TV show The Punisher from Marvel. And, uh, well, you know, that got me thinking. I should host a podcast where I talk to other actors and creators about how they brought life and then ultimately death to these iconic roles. I mean, look, our favorite characters never really die, do they? They live on in the hearts and minds of fans for generations to come. Welcome to Playing Dead. Now, when I conceived of this podcast, the one person who was on the very top of my list was everyone's favorite Demogorgon victim... Barb Holland from Stranger Things. So I am extremely excited to say that we have the Emmy Award nominee Shannon Persner herself on this episode. But first, the man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. It's everyone's favorite science teacher from Hawkins Middle School, Scott Clark, played by my dear, dear friend, a Mr. Randy Havens. Randy Havens, star of stage, screen, and other places, a.k.a. Mr. Clark from Stranger Things, uh, fan favorite. And Randy has a wonderful improv background as well. He's a brilliant improv comedian. He was in Godzilla. He was in other shit. I don't know. But I want to talk about all of it. I want to talk about all yeah, of you. I'm, I'm glad you've done your research. Yeah, I did a lot of research on you, Randy. I, 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 I knew you didn't have your, I knew you didn't do your research when you called me a brilliant improv guy. Ah, I like to make my friends feel better about themselves. Randy has a huge cult following. Not a huge follow. I want to make that clear. It's a cult following. Yeah, I'm in a cult. <laughs> he's, a followed, following. he's followed by a cult. He, a cult follows him around, mm-hmm. mostly at airports. Now, Randy's character, Mr. Clark, is like, obviously one of the fan favorites from that show. So touching, heartwarming. He brings it all to Stranger Things and to every role that he creates. But spoiler alert, Randy is not dead on any show called Stranger Things yet. I mean, that could change. So this could be more relevant, but Randy has certainly seen... Let's cross our fingers. Yeah, exactly. But Randy has seen a lot of people go and a lot of people kick the bucket on that show. Tell me about the first time that you got a script for Stranger Things. Did you know what it was? Did you know the Duffer Brothers? I got a few different sides for a few different roles on the show. I think I must have auditioned for maybe five roles throughout the process. And it was Untitled Duffer Brothers Project. At this point, I didn't know who the Duffer Brothers were. Had they done... They had done a film. They had done uh, one film, I think... I wish I could remember the name of it. It's actually pretty decent. It had Alexander Skarsgård in it. And it was about this family that was in a, like a bomb shelter. And something had happened outside the bomb shelter I feel like it's like an outbreak of of some kind. And then um, at the end of the film, you obviously discovered what it is that's going on outside the shelter. But there's kind of a twist. And they ended up working on uh, Wayward Pines, which was an M. Night Shyamalan show. Um, Hidden, so by I the way. Hidden was the name of that. Hidden? Uh, there you go. Look yeah, at you. Do you have like a person in your ear right Maybe now, I do and you? maybe I don't. Wow. I'm just going to let the mystery... M. Night. Night. Yeah, Hidden is the the name of the uh, movie. And so there's a twist at the end, and I think that's what got them on Shyamalan's radar. (laughs) 
that's just my assumption about M. Night Shyamalan is that he only wants to work with people who have twists in their movies. So let's just get the timeline of events straight. They write and direct Hidden in 2015, which then caught the attention of M. Night Shyamalan, who was the executive producer of the TV show Wayward Pines, and he thought, hey, well, these guys are onto something. So he brings them into Wayward Pines, becoming sort of like their mentor. He gives them tips and tricks on how to make some successful TV shows, and then they eventually go to Netflix with a pitch for a show called Stranger Things. I know they pitched it to 20 different networks. They're the uh, J.K. Rowling of TV. Yeah, they got turned down 20 times on that pitch and then Netflix picked it up and it ended up, you know, at that point, the biggest thing that it ever that Netflix had ever seen. Yeah. But at this point, when I was auditioning for it, I didn't know what the project was. It didn't even, it didn't even have a name at this point. I eventually uh, get called in to read for like the assistant principal of the middle school, of Hawkins Middle. Guy has like three or four scenes. And so this is this is now the callback. So I've sent in a tape at this point. And so I'm I'm getting called back to read for this assistant principal character. So I walk in to the room and we've got Carmen Cuba. And we've got the Atlanta casting uh, directors, Chase Paris and Tara uh, Feldstein. Um, so I am not one foot in the door. Like literally like one of my feet is like through the door. And Carmen turns to the duffers and goes... What do we think about him reading for this other role if we decide to go a different way with that one? So immediately as I'm walking into the room. While you're in the room? Before I'm I'm even like in front of them, like as I'm walking in, she's like, we should have him read for a different part if we want to go a different way with that part. So I walk in and immediately I'm like, okay, well, they don't want me for this part. They probably don't want me for this other part. So fuck it. I'll just do my, I'll just do my thing. No pressure. There's literally no pressure at this point because I'm like, okay, probably not going to get this. So I read uh, a couple scenes. The Duffers laugh. I do something funny because I'm fucking hilarious. <laughs> I was about to say, what? Really? They laughed? Okay. Yeah, they, continue. They, they did. Cool. It was, it was shocking to me as well. And then they're like, okay, here's this other role. And it was like five, five or six pages of sides. And they were like, go, you know, obviously you don't have to memorize it. Just um, go look at it. And when you feel like you've got a handle on it, just let us know and, and, and we'll bring you back in. So I got, I start looking at this part. I think the character's name is Henry. So Jonathan Byers, who's like the older brother of the missing boy on Stranger Things. He works at a movie theater in like, in the original like scripts, he worked at a movie theater. And my character was his boss, but my character was also a photographer, like a camera kind of nerd guy. And Jonathan's character was really into photography in the show. And so there's a bit of like a mentor-mentee relationship between the two guys. So there's like a really uh, sweet scene where like Jonathan brings in his camera and this guy's just being like really nice and like helping him like fix it. Because at one point in the show, like Jonathan gets his camera broken. I go out and look at it. I'm like, okay, well, I can't try to do everything in, in this you know short amount of time. But what I can do is like read the scenes and figure out like what is what is a piece of this character? What is, what is a part of this character that resonates with me? And the, the idea of like, you know, extending some kindness to another human being and being like caring. And I was like, okay, kindness and caring. I can do that. Your professional life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I do it rarely in real life, but I can do it. I it's just force, I just, I save it. I save it for like oh, you and, know, good people. And we are, and the audiences are grateful. So I come back in, I read it. I get a pretty good feeling about it. I get a call maybe like two days later and they're like, it's your part. I'm like, great. Maybe a week or two after that, my agent calls me and she's like, Oh, I know where this is going. They cut oh. the part. 
the, the role does not exist anymore. Been there, and, been there, done that. Yeah. And it was like farts. Before I had been like fired, they had asked if I would come in and read a couple of roles at the table read. And I'd said, yes. And so after they fired me, they were like, hey, we still want you to come into the uh, table read. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to do it because I want, I want them to see my face again. And I want them to really miss me. I want them to really realize like just how much they miss me right before, right before the read, like days before the read. My agent reaches out again and they're like, hey, we, they want you to audition for Mr. Clark, the science teacher. And I was like, oh, I've sent in a tape for that already. And so I just like went into my computer and I was like, I know I've got the, the file here somewhere. So I just like resent my tape for, for Mr. Clark. Went back and watched it a couple of times, like over the years. And it's so bad that I'm just <laughs> like, thank God that they like saw me in person. And they're like, actually like this guy can do the job. Did you think your tape was great though at the time? I think it was great, but I was like, uh, <laughs> I'd gone whitewater rafting. <laughs> This is what happens. This is like this is this is just the tangents that we that we go off. Yeah. On. I'd gone whitewater rafting, and the raft like dips, so the nose goes way down, and I'm in the very front. So I go out of the raft. Now I'm wearing a life vest, but I get caught in the wash, and so I am like hitting the bottom of the uh, river, and then I'm hitting the bottom of the raft. So I'm going up and down, up and down. I'm like I'm gonna fucking die. Yeah. I'm going to fucking drown in here because I don't know which way is up. I'm like, boom, hitting the bottom of the roof. Boom, hitting the bottom of the raft. So I'm stuck under the raft and I'm just caught in this wash and I'm like, boom, 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 boom. And at some point, it fucking scraped my face. I'm like, I don't want to die like this. And I sort of like am able to kind of swim out of, out of the wash. But I have like this gash on my nose. Right. So I'm like, I don't want to send in a new tape for this character because now I have this fucking shit on my face. So I was like, thank God I have another tape already. But it was not a great tape. So I, so I resend my Mr. Clark self tape. Um, and then a couple of days later, I go in for the table read. So as I'm like sitting down, the duffers come in. They see me and they're like, oh, hey, Randy, we're really excited to have you do this part. And I'm like, and like the machinery is like, that does yeah. not compute. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really happy to be at the read through. <laughs> yeah, hey. It for you. Yeah. And so we go through, it's like we do the, we read the first three episodes and it's like, oh yeah, this is like clicking. Like this is like a fun show. And I'm like, it feels like Stephen King. It feels like Steven Spielberg. It feels like Steven Spielberg directing Stephen King, which I'm like, why did that never happen? You know, I'm like, this is a blast. Like this is such a great idea and like it's so well executed. So that's day one. I go back, I read, you know, the next three episodes that night. And then we come back in the next day and do this, the next three episodes. So we, you know, end up doing table reads for the first six. So as I'm sitting down, Carmen Cuba comes in, sits down beside me and she's like, Hey, the part's yours. You know, Mr. Mr. Clark is, is your part. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And she's like, yeah, we had like a last minute kerfuffle with casting and we didn't know where to go with this part. And I turned to the duffers and I said, what about Randy? Which is going to be the name of my autobiography. Posthumous. Posthumous, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> after I die, it will be released. Uh, it cannot be released until I die because I'm naming names, Michael. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you write about me. So now you are officially cast, right, as Mr. Clark, 
the science teacher extraordinaire. Tell me about your character and how he fits into the whole series. I think it, at some point in the writing of the show, they decided actively not to have him be a part of the adventures. To your chagrin, uh, I'm sure, but you understand what you're there for, like what you're serving. Right. You know, at some point they were like, oh, you know, this character's kind of a joke. They're like, he's the guy they go to for advice. He's this incredibly caring, kind person who has done all these things and is actively doing these things to make sure that these kids feel accepted and have a place to be themselves, which is uh, what I was doing with the character was looking at these kids and going, you know, these kids are kind of outcasts. They're geeky, they're dorky, they're not cool. There's stuff in the script that sort of alludes to it, but like, you know, this is this is all the work that I was doing. So it wasn't like something that somebody had written down and said like, this is who you are. There's just stuff that I did where I was like, if I play it like this, if it's this guy who just wants these kids to feel accepted and to have them have a place that's their own where they get to just do cool shit, do shit that they think is cool and have a good time and feel accepted and, and feel comfortable in their own skin and, and, and just have a space, you know? And so that's what the, you know, sort of the AV club was whenever he would take them into like the AV room, he just like gives them a key to the room and he's like, you know, knock yourself out guys. Um, I trust you. That for me was like, Mr. Clark had created this, this world so that these kids could feel accepted because at some point at school, he was like them, that he felt different and not cool and found a place that, that he was able to, to, to be accepted. And he wanted to, you know, sort of pay that forward. In season two, it's revealed that Bob, the character played by Sean Astin, is the one who created the club. Right. And so for me, as the actor, I was like, oh, no, uh, oh, okay. I thought I did it, but that was all, you know, that was, that was what I, I had sort of done with my backstory. Yes, yes. So maybe Mr. Clark, who created the AV Club with Bob, that way your backstory doesn't completely die. You're welcome. <laughs> now, speaking of deaths, it seemed like almost immediately out of the gate with that show... When a character died, it was like really intense and a really big deal. And people like held on super tightly. And the first one was Barb. Shannon Purser, at that point, she's on a new show. Nobody really knew what that role or that show was. She was on a certain number of episodes and her character, Barb, dies. Yeah. She's the first character to die in, the, in yeah. the Upside Down. And what was it about that death that like started that whole string of people really caring? I, I think what, what the Duffers were creating was a world where anyone could die, right? And that's what you want. You want you want the uncertainty, right? Because that's when you get scared. You know, you're thinking they might just kill Will Byers. Like he might just die in the upside down because they're killing everybody. I think they might have killed Benny before they killed Barb. Benny uh was played by Chris Sullivan. I think how they had gotten him was they were like, hey, it's one episode. We just want you to come in, establish his character and then we're gonna kill him immediately. Because, you know, I'm sure they explained to him, we just want this world to exist where, like, you love a character and then we kill them. And Chris Sullivan is um, obviously from This Is Us. He's gone on to fame and fortune with that. But he he was the guy in the di who, like, ran the diner, was working in the diner, and Levin comes to the yeah, diner. He and owns he's, like, this, like, yeah, he owns this, like, greasy spoon. And he sort of rescues Eleven. Yeah, and, and you're like, oh, this is going like to be her caretaker, right? Exactly, exactly. He takes on this sort of persona as like this person who's going to, and he's kind of gruff at first, but then almost immediately he's like giving her fries 
and like feeding her and being sweet to her. And I think they eat like ice cream together and you're just like, oh my God. And he's, and he's a big guy, right? So you're just like, oh, he's like a protector. And then immediately (laughs) this woman, this mean woman comes in and shoots him in the face. And you're just like, what? the fuck is this show? I I remember um, that moment thinking like, oh, this show is different. This show is going there. I remember it being like, that's Chris Sullivan they just killed. And that that was like the shock for me. But then talk about that that Barb thing, which has spawned like a cult of a character that Mm -hmm. was only on a few episodes of one season of one show. The interesting thing about Barb is the trope of the sidekick, the best friend. And a lot of times in media, in order to create a, a main character that you really care about. You need like them to have a sidekick. And a, lo- and a lot of times what ends up happening is the sidekick for a lot of us is more interesting because we feel more like a sidekick than a main character mm. because the sidekicks are more real because they're not outgoing. And a lot of us, I think, feel like, you know, a little, a little more introverted. And so I think for people to, to see themselves in a character, I think a lot of people saw themselves in Barb and then that character dies. And so the biggest thing about Barb was, Hashtag justice for Barb. I remember this. Like people wanted Barb, you know, like people wanted Barb to be remembered. The big complaint about season one was Barb got forgotten about pretty quick. By the cast or like by the story in the show. Yeah, she really didn't because like Nancy was kind of investigating the, the disappearance of Barb throughout the first season. But I guess because the show was more interested in the disappearance of Will and, and the Barb character was more of a, um, you know, an early stage sacrifice to the we'll kill anyone idea. There is a character on the show, Euphoria, named Lexi, and she's played by Maude Apatow. And throughout the series has played the sidekick, you know, the the B character, doesn't, doesn't do a lot. And then at the end of season two, she has this sort of huge realization about herself and about like what she's meant to do in life. And then she has sort of like an, you know, an awakening experience as a character and like really sort of comes into her own. And it just resonated, I think with so many people, not unlike how Barb did, because it's like, that's the person that I feel like, I feel like, like the observer, you know, I feel like a bystander a lot of times. And it's really cool when shows realize what they have in like a character like that and, and, and are able to sort of like make something special happen with it. You know, what Stranger Things was able to do is like make you care about a character almost immediately and then make you think about that character constantly for the next five episodes. Uh, the same thing with Sean Astin, who played the smart and lovable Bob Newby. Now, after Bob died, there was that same rally cry of justice for Bob. I know Sean knew that he, his character was going to die. Like, his, you know, his character is really corny, but you can see that like, not that his character's corny, but the person is corny. But he's corny in like this very lovable way. Oh, yeah. like he's such a he's such a um a lovely person that you're just like, oh yeah, no, I would die for this man. He's he's so sweet. And so by the time he does die, you know, doing something heroic, it, it's really, it's really great storytelling. You kind of know when you're watching a show. If they introduce a character in season two and he's too good to be true, he's gonna die. Yeah. Um, and often, you, you know, know the, the character who sacrifices themselves for the greater good. And Barb was that too, kind of in season one, in the sense of like, she was the person who set them on the course to figure it all out. It seems like that these deaths are so important for the motion of the story and the arc of the right. characters and to get those other characters understanding and figure out their own lives. And they're in service. Oftentimes those deaths are in service of the story. And it's hard to swallow for an actor because like you want to be there forever. 
doing this great yeah. part or being this great show. At the end of the day, we have to like honor what that story is. And if the best Absolutely. way to tell that story is like your death, and then that's it. Yeah, for myself, yeah, I would love for Mr. Clark to be Indiana Jones. But, you know, he's a middle school science teacher. He's not a guy that can pick up a gun and go, you know, shoot monsters. If Mr. Clark came in and like fought the Demogorgon, there might be initially, you might go like, yeah, get him. But if Mr. Clark got involved in the action and ended up like doing something heroic and not dying, you may celebrate that. But it's a lot like, you know, drinking a, a, a can of like soda that's bad for you. There's gonna be a crash. And a little bit later on, you're gonna go, I don't believe it. And so I think good storytelling goes like, yeah, you may wanna see that in this moment, but you wouldn't like it. It's good storytelling versus fan service. I've seen your line at Comic-Cons. I've seen people come up to you. You get a lot of kids coming up to you, right? With like AV club sweatshirts and t-shirts and like, I've seen them obsessed with, I've seen them come up to you like you are a god. Yeah. What is I've that had, responsibility um, like to be a god, Randy Havens, to so many children around the world? Um, well, Have the you? first thing a god <laughs> likes to do is to crush yeah. and destroy. Nice. Uh, so you crush uh, their our dreams. God, our god is the vengeful god. Yeah, it's interesting to me because there's a it's it's multi-generational, right? I've had entire families. I've had kids, parents, grandparents, like all together come up and go like, we watch the show together. Because for the kids, they love the kids. They identify with the kids. The parents, it reminds them of their childhood. Right. The grandparents, it reminds them of raising children the children in that era right and so it's this sort of perfect confluence of, of of all these things what's the weirdest thing you've ever you've ever been approached about like has anyone ever tried to like did anyone think you were an actual science teacher maybe or? oh yeah no that's that's constant like everyone wants to know if i'm like good at science and they i just was, assume like, and you're like, and i'm like and i'm like no i'm a fucking actor i'm interested in science right up right up until it they bring in the math part right because you can't have science without math. And all of a sudden, when you're like talking about like atomic numbers and having to do math as far as Actors like protons do and electrons. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a mathematologist. Did you ever get asked to go to a school and like speak as Mr. Clark? Could you come to my science class? And I did. I, I have a good friend um, who has like a pretty epic family Christmas party every year. I was there one year. And so my friend's mom's sister was like, would you come to my elementary school class and talk to my kids? And I said, uh, where is it? And it's like 90 minutes away. And I was like, no. And she goes, well, fuck you then. <laughs> I was like, okay. I did have a, a a guy come up to me at a at a convention. I hope he's not listening. He invited me to come to his house to play Dungeons and Dragons, and he said, "I've got you know, I've got a whole room. I've got the table like, you know, the he's like the table like folds out like it's like he, sh he showed me pictures. It's very cool setup, but I'm not going to get murdered in a stranger's home. That's just not going to happen to me. If I'm going to get murdered, it's going to be like." Uh, in my own, in the safety of my own home, in the comfort of my own home, I'm going to be murdered. Dare I say uh, that not, would be a stranger thing to happen to you? The strangest of strangers. The strangest. Things. I was like, just leave your number with my assistant. And I was just like, I, I as soon as he was gone, I was like, burn it. Burn yeah. it to the ground. Like, there's no way in hell I'm going to a, a, a stranger's basement as nice as it is. Of course. It was very nice. He had a very nice setup and he was a very sweet man. But I am not going to die. Even when I'm at those cons, I never grow, you know, I never grow up. I see somebody that I like from one of those movies. I'm just like, oh my God, I can't handle it. And you're like one of those guys now where like people can't handle it and they'll be 
14 going on 60 or 60 going on 14 and they'll all feel that way about you forever. And um, you just need to hold that close to your heart and know how special you are, Randy Havens, to me and everyone else. We, 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 can, only, we can only hope. Do we want to talk about me dying at all? Go ahead. Okay, so I've died in Vampire Diaries. I was a tour guide in a van and we were touring like some haunted part of Mystic Falls and I was yanked from the tour bus by a crazed vampire who'd gone full berserker and flung into the air. You do your own stunts on that one? I did not. I was actually going to volunteer to do my own stunts and then I saw like the B-grade version of me. He's like 20 years older than I am and he's, you know, obviously in a lot better shape than I am. He just looks like, you know, the version of me you would find at a Goodwill. Um, (laughs) uh, He's not as handsome. Yeah, I was like, oh, I should tell them that I'd be cool doing my own stunts. And then I came onto set and I saw what the stunt was and I was like, nope. nope. And it was like wire work, right? Like he was being like, like flung like into the fucking trees. No, thank you. No, thanks. All right, give me a a quick rundown of your deaths. Go, ready? Rattle them off. So the first series, it was before I I was anybody, it was a series on Fox called Past Life that got canceled at episode six and I was in episode seven. My character was a guy who was like addicted to pain pills because he had a bad back. And so he ends up like his first scene, he tries to hang himself. Mm. I didn't die from hanging myself. I got saved from hanging myself. And then I jumped off the roof of a building in a very dramatic scene where one of the heroes tries to save me and I don't let them and I jump off the roof. Nice. Both very cool. Hanging yourself, super cathartic. Never have to do that in real life. Uh, Yeah. I've had the experience. Um, I don't need it in my life. I hear Uh, you. So it would, it would be super terrible. So your first two are two suicides. We've got a hanging, we've got a jumping off a building. Third is a vampire. Yeah. Uh, murdered by uh, a vampire. There's Godzilla. Godzilla. I'm about to say Godzilla. I get shot in the face. Mm -hmm. I did that stunt where I got shot in the face 52 times, 52 times shot in the face. Funniest part was the director of Godzilla had my death on a loop. It was just playing on a loop <laughs> and I walk in and he's like, and Millie Bobby Brown, who plays 11 was there. And he's like, Hey, Millie, check it out. Stranger Things season two. And it was just like, bang, 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 bang. It's just That's, like me. Oh my God. Uh, getting, getting capped in the face. What else? I was a member of a suicide cult and I drank Kool-Aid. Do you have the kind of face that people feel like wants to should die, should die, um, <laughs> should kill themselves. I don't know. Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy those death scenes? Playing yeah. with death scenes, it's fun, yeah, right? Yeah, it's super fun. It's super yeah. fun. And to play with like the moment before death, right? Like what is what what is my character going to do? In the cult movie, um, which is called Sheep, I uh, do not think it's available anywhere. Like 30, 40 minute sh- uh, short film with uh, Paul Walter Hauser, who's a very talented oh, very. Uh, actor. My character was just like a real asshole. And so I actually got to, you know, there's, there's the, you know, the drinking scene. My character actually like, sort of comes out of it and is just like vomiting on himself and is just like choking and gagging while like talking to like the Paul Walter Hauser character and just super, super fun and super gross. Just great. Uh, if you're going to die, you better die excellently, right? I mean, like that's the only yeah. way to go. You don't want to go yeah. passively. You want to go like in a blaze of glory somehow. Yeah, exactly. Disgusting um, or otherwise. I, di- I die in a, a film called The Collected, which is part of the Collector trilogy. Okay. But it hasn't come out yet. Give us a little hint about your character and how he dies. I mean, this is playing dead after all, Brandy. Yeah. Um, the bad guy at the end of the second movie has had all of his, uh, the collector has had all of his murder implements taken away from him. 
I'm in charge of the evidence room at the police station. And he comes up, uh, he's killed a cop, I think, and like puts on a, a, a police uniform. He walks up to me and like, I'm asking him to like sign it or whatever. And he just reaches in to my guts and like pulls my guts mm. out of my body. And he's like, he's like, these are your guts, my friend. You're like, no, okay. It should be on He's the like, inside. that's a problem with you. You know, guts. He gets all his murder implements and then he, you know, goes on a kill crazy rampage. Good job, asshole. Way to like protect that evidence room. <laughs> There was a door. Well, that's I had not, a door. It's just, it's not, it's not my fault. Okay. How does it feel to be responsible for all these people that, being murdered? That a hand could reach into and no. pull my guts out of my body. I didn't even know it was possible that you could reach He's into special... someone's body and just like guts them. What is Winona Ryder like? She's cool. Fucking so, she's so cool. Yeah. She's great. God, I love Winona Ryder. Yeah, she is. She's she's super amazing and, and very funny and just like, like a fucking ledge, man. You know that she is Timothy Leary's uh, goddaughter. Shut up. And for those of you who don't know who Timothy Leary is, he was a psychologist and the leading advocate for the use of LSD and other psychoactive drugs. Huge fan. On that note, Randy Havens, go get some sleep and have some coffee or one or the other. And uh, I love you, man. Be good. Wow. You think I need sleep right now? I don't know. You need something. Okay. Jesus. Till soon. Till soon, my man. Be well. (laughs) Love you. Love you back. Bye. Bye. Hi there. Your friendly neighborhood podcast host once again. Uh, Like Dante from last week, yeah, I missed the opportunity to ask Randy what his favorite on-screen death was. So, I called up my good buddy to get his thoughts. I swear, I swear I'm going to get this right by season three. The latest. I think the two biggest impact deaths for me were both from Breaking Bad. Hank Schrader and Mike Ehrmantraut. Love Mike's death. Just completely pointless. Uh, Walt just kills him because he won't give him like a, a list of names that he... Walt then realizes that he can get like from another person and uh, Walt's like monologizing out loud going like oh I didn't have to shoot you I could have just got him from this lady and Mike just is like sitting he's been shot in the gut he knows he's dying he's just like sitting at, at this riverbed just like watching the water sort of like flow past him and he's like Shut your fuck up and let me die in peace. It's iconic. And then, of course, Hank Schrader, who's who's killed by some real bad people. And, yeah, that one really got me because, like, you know, I think Hank Schrader's probably my favorite character in, in all of Breaking Bad. And just love his character so much. He's all just, like, cockiness and, like, bluster. And But even underneath there, you see that, you know, he really cares about the people around him. Um, two guys from Breaking Bad. Couple of, couple of old Breaking Bads. Both of them were bald. I don't know what that says about me. Hi, Shannon Purser. Hi. So there was a show that came out once. A couple people saw it. It was kind of a small deal. It was called Stranger something. Yeah, I've heard of it. Stranger Danger? Something, yeah, Strange something. It kind of uh, blew up. Stranger Things, that's what we're talking about. My dear friend Randy Havens. Um, I love Randy. Randy and I, we go back to Comic-Cons and we became super tight. And he t- told some great stories. This show is such a phenomenon and we're now in season four. 
It's interesting because people, they're like, what's the update? Like, what's what's the schedule? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm not really in the loop yeah. as much anymore. I think there might be one more after this. I people think are five constantly asking me about the Punisher season three. And I'm like, first of all, I died in season one. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Goodbye. I mean, relatable. <laughs> yeah. Well, my point about Stranger Things was there might be multiple seasons, but season one was my favorite. And one me of too. the main reasons, <laughs> I, I, I would assume. And one of the reasons was uh, this wonderful lady, super talented lady sitting in front of me who played... Barb, you were legit the breakout character. Like, yeah, Eleven, Hopper, all that shit, whatever. Barb was like the thing. There were costumes. There were pins. I just showed Shannon my Barb pin that I bought for my wife like four years ago when the show came out. You had no idea that that was going to happen. Absolutely not. And um, Shannon obviously is super comfortable with all of the attention. <laughs> I don't she's know. Just, I think I've, I've gotten used to it. Like, yeah. I, I always tell people that it was sort of like a shark attack when it happened. Like, you know that, like, I don't know if you've heard this, but apparently when you get bitten by a shark, you don't really feel the pain because it's just this overwhelming thing. Your body goes into, like, shock. Right. So I don't know that I've, like, I don't know that I've processed it, honestly. I was 18 when I shot that show. Yeah, you're, in, in you're still in high school. high school. Yeah. And I was just so happy to have a job. I was just so excited. You know, it was the first thing I'd ever been cast in. And you were living in Atlanta, mm-hmm. which is where they shot it. Yeah. So they were looking for local actors. I think they, they were casting everywhere because a few years later, someone I knew told me that they had they had gone out for Barb too. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's yeah, I'm glad that I don't know like how many people go out for every role because I think it would totally psych me out. I mean, shout out to, to Carmen Cuba because... I think she and the Duffers like really kind of took a chance on me because I hadn't acted, you know, professionally before. Just take us back for a second. I just want to do a little memory lane yeah. because I'm curious. What were you doing up until that audition? Yeah, I think like the acting bug kind of bit when I was maybe like 13. I started doing like plays at school, like little theater things. And yeah, I, I think everybody in my family was just really confused because nobody in my family is in the arts at all. So and nobody was pushing you. You weren't no, like, there was no. no stage mom or stage dad no, involved thank in God. Any of this. Yeah. 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 I was just like, I think 14 when I was like, oh, I want to do this for my life. <laughs> this is the job that I want. And my parents were like, okay, like, good luck. Yeah, no shit. Uh, we have no idea how what that is or how to do that. What do your so. parents do? Uh, my dad's a pilot, he's an airline pilot for Delta. Yeah. Oh, sweet. He's great. <laughs> um, my mom was a flight attendant, and that's how they met. It's very, like, rom-com. I think that they just didn't uh, know what acting was <laughs> or, like, what, what it meant. Or like, as a job. That, as a job, yeah. And so I basically did it all myself. Like, I went online, and I was like, how to act? Um, <laughs> how to, like, what do you need to do to be an actor? I, like, went and got headshots made. And then when I was like 15, I signed with an Atlanta agency. And I just auditioned for years and never booked anything. Years, come on. <laughs> oh, three years. <laughs> centuries. Uh, it felt like centuries, yeah, you know, yeah. when you're when you're that young. I get it. And you're yeah. like, oh, I'm never going to make it. Um, yeah, and then I got this email about this show that was called Montauk originally before it was Stranger Things. Was that the like code name? No, that's what the title of the show was. Why? Yeah, before they decided Montauk. on Stranger Things because it, it originally took place in Montauk. Um, they really wanted to lean into like the MK Ultra thing, um, which is like Montauk is where that took place in real life. Wow. Um, like the, the sort of like government uh, LSD experiments, which is bizarre. Okay, my friends, it's that time again for a segment I call Let's Google This Shit! 
MKUltra and the Montauk Project are two different but surprisingly similar events in U.S. history. Now, MKUltra was the codename for the CIA's human experimentation program, which lasted about 20 years or so and took place all over the U.S. The CIA used psychoactive drugs, electroshock, sensory deprivation, etc., etc., on people to see if they could manipulate a person's mental state to brainwash them. It was very real and very creepy. Now, the Montauk Project, on the other hand, is considered a conspiracy theory. Now, that started in the 1980s when these dudes in Montauk, New York, claimed to have recovered repressed memories of the U.S. government abducting them and using them as guinea pigs to test time travel, teleportation, and mind control, among other things. Now, did the Montauk Project really happen? Who knows? Back to Shannon about how she auditioned for Barb. Yeah, I just, like, I taped it in my basement uh, with my best friend and sent it in, and then it all just kind of, like, happened very, very quickly. And then they asked me to come and audition in person. Um, for the Duffers. Mm-hmm, for the Duffers, and that was, like, the most bizarre experience of my life. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was so overwhelmed, but so excited. But also, there, on some level, though, you weren't, like, super nervous. I mean, you were nervous, obviously, it's an audition, you're a kid, but, like... It wasn't Stranger Things yet, so it was just yeah. an, it was just another job. Like for sure, probably in your mind, you're like, okay, if I don't get this, there'll be another audition. It wasn't like, thank God, it wasn't like season two of Stranger Things. Oh yeah, for sure. No, it, it hadn't become like this huge yeah. thing, but I think it felt like a huge thing to me anyway. Even if nobody had watched the show, it was the furthest I'd gotten, like you yeah. know, in terms of actually booking a job and, and acting. So I was like, this could be it. Like this could be my my shot to actually do this thing that I've been dreaming about for so long. Yeah. And when you went into the room, just tell me like meeting them and like what that was like and like how they were they like super kind and easy. And did yeah. you read with anybody? Yeah, the Duffers are great. They're lovely. Just like two nerds. I think we like had a lot in common from the beginning. And yeah, I just remember like driving up to this like big sound stages in Atlanta with my mom and our little like minivan. And she would just like, you know, assured me to the right spot and was like, good luck. And I just went into like this little room with the Duffers and uh, we talked about the show. They brought in Natalia for one of the scenes, one of the scenes with Barb and Nancy. And so I met her that day, too, and she was really cool, really lovely. So she had been cast? Yes, she'd yeah. already been cast. The regulars were cast? I think so, yeah. I think okay. they'd already locked down pretty much all of the main cast. And we did our scene together, and then she left. And then they wanted me to do, like, my death scene, basically. I was going to ask you, because, like, the same thing kind of happened to me where there was, like, they weren't telling me in Punisher that I was going to die, but they sort of were like, wink, wink, you have a certain number of episodes. Yeah. Wink, wink. I didn't know initially. I didn't know when I got the job. I found out, like, as I was filming that I was, like, I was going to die, basically. Oh, um, but, but you did the death scene in the audition. It wasn't really, well, okay. Oh, you didn't know it was the death scene. Oh, yeah, okay, take us, take us in there. <laughs> so it wasn't really, like, the death scene. It was, like, the the preamble to the death scene. So, At the house, like, when you're by the pool? It was me, like, waking party. up. In the upside down, oh. basically, and like realizing the Demogorgon is there and all of that. I'm so glad that I was like this overconfident, like naive kid because I was like, oh, I guess I'm just going to have to like pretend that I'm dying in this room with these people I've never met before. With this giant monster <laughs> and everything. Were they like, imagine this giant thing here and like you've got, you're covered in sticky weirdness and it's like a, like how did they describe the atmosphere? Yeah. How did you channel that as an 18, where are you, 17, 18 at the time? I think I was 18, yeah. I mean. I, yeah, I don't know. Acting has always been like an interesting challenge for me because 
I'm in real life, I think I'm a pretty like anxious person. I like to be pretty like low key. I don't really like to draw a lot of attention to myself. Yeah. But you really have to. I don't know. Sometimes acting, it it always feels like I'm at like the top of like a diving board, and you just have to like jump. Like you just have to do it. You just have to not be afraid of looking stupid or or weird, and just commit. You know. I distinctly remember being in that room, and being like all right, I'm going to have to, like, sell this. I'm going to have to, like, scream bloody murder in this little room. And I did, and it, it worked out. And I don't know, I think tapping into, like, my anxiety always helps because I'm like, oh, I'm already, like, nervous, so I'll just use that. And You're a very smart 18-year-old actor. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I didn't have, like, a lot of training. I didn't go to, like, drama school or anything. So it was basically just me, like, relying on my... I don't know, ability to daydream and put myself in these situations like mentally. And be authentic. Yeah. And just use your authentic emotions or like what you're feeling in that moment and yeah. like not ignore it. That's my goal all the time is just to be as like genuine as possible. I, and I think that, you know, people who are watching audiences can tell, you know, if, if it comes from a real place or not. And I think that's Maybe why Barb like resonated with a lot of people is because it, it just it really did come from this very real, like authentic place like in my life. It, it, you were an awkward teenager. Yeah, I was like an awkward teenager who <laughs> Playing an like, awkward teenager. was kind of an introvert and didn't have like a lot of friends. Like it was not a stretch by any means. Yeah. Right. Right. So you get the call. How long after that call back? Like when was the was it like really a- fast? I, I don't I'm trying to remember if it was it was either the same day or, like, the day after. Oh, shit. And I remember how I found out, too, because I was at the movies with my mom. Wait, and you worked in a movie? Th- I little- was at that theater, too. The yeah. theater where you were? Yeah. Where you got some- <laughs> what were you seeing? I don't remember. Oh, come on, people, man. I, I know. People always ask me. They're like, oh, what were you watching? And I can't remember. But it, I remember that, like, I think it was just me and my mom in the theater. It, it was pretty empty, whatever we were seeing. There weren't a lot of people there. Did you see the movie for free, though, at least? Um... Or you got a discount for I'm working there. I'm trying to there. remember. Yeah, that's when I was working there. So, yeah. Was that I, a, per- that was a yeah. perk? Yes. We got free movies. It's a pretty is, good perk. Oh, it was a great perk. My mom was, like, devastated when I quit because she's like, all my free movies are gone. But, yeah, I just remember, like, normally, you know, I don't look at my phone while I'm in the movies. I like to be respectful. Yeah. But I was obviously couldn't stop thinking about the audition and wondering. And I, I checked my email and I got, like, the email that they were offering me the part. Did you scream in the middle of the movie? I, w- I just, like... <laughs> I was in, like, shock. Like, I was just, I just, like, looked at my mom, and I was just like, I I got it. Like, I got, I'm going to do it. And it was, yeah, it was so surreal. Were you still working (laughs) at the movie theater Mm -hmm. while you were shooting it? I was working at the movie theater after it came out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I worked there for a while. Because I was, like, People come in and be like, hey... Yeah. What the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> are they doing a Stranger Things like uh, you know promo where Barb is taking <laughs> your tickets? At the movie theater. Yeah. Yeah. It it didn't happen at first, but then after a while, people would be like, "Oh, you look familiar." I want to get to like your first day of filming and stuff, but like the people that were in it, none of them were like super famous at that time. Right? I mean, except for Winona Ryder. Freaking out about Winona. Yeah, I'm sure you were. Yeah, <laughs> I would have freaked out because of like what, like Edward Scissorhands and yeah, other. Yeah, I was huge. Of like, course, on you were. Tim Burton. Also, like her other stuff too. Like I don't know if you ever saw like the. I think it's like the '94 Little Women. I have. It's one of my I, wife's favorite movies. It's one of my favorite movies of all yes. time. I adore it. And I'm one of four girls. So it was like our movie growing up. We named one of our daughters. Her middle name is Joe after Aww. Joe March. 
That's so sweet. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I was just like, adored her. thought she was so cool. Still do. Oh, yeah. And I remember like seeing her and just being like, be cool. Oh, she's like right next to you. She's so cool. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. So obviously you're iconic. But part of that was the wardrobe, the yeah. look, the glasses. Were you involved in any of that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was it was all like a totally new experience for me. I'd never like done a wardrobe fitting before. I'd never like seen like behind the scenes before. So it was all so like thrilling for me. And it still is. Like I still get so excited about like wardrobe and, and hair and makeup because it's really it's so important, honestly, like you can do as, you know, as much prep as you want as an actor, but like to get into like the wardrobe and to see like the final look really helps so much. And yeah, I remember like trying on all the clothes and a lot of it was like actual vintage, you know, like stuff from the eighties. I think my mom, when she watched the first season was like, I had that sweater. I loved all the outfits. I love the eighties. I love the aesthetic. Were the glasses yours, or they? That was prop. Those were prop glasses. Those were prop glasses. The glasses were everything. Uh, we did like the wardrobe fitting. We got into the mom jeans, which were iconic. But yeah, the yeah, glasses the were jeans. like the final. The, the glasses are what I needed. I'm like, I'm looking at my happening. pin with you in the glasses. That's the you holding the books. It's that image. It's a purple sweater. But yeah, the glasses. The glasses and the hair. Did you have short hair? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was. I was definitely that like little artsy like theater kid who I don't know my mom like wouldn't let me dye my hair but I wanted to I had an emo phase um I've always <laughs> been very adventurous aesthetically as much as I could be it's so funny that people now have like a barb phase <laughs> oh god maybe don't you oh you oh 100 percent. you think <laughs> yeah I mean you go online and there's like all of these like reddits and pinterest and things do-it-yourself costumes it just requires like a raggedy Ann style shirt. <laughs> yeah. Big glasses, short red hair, mom jeans. That's your superhero costume. The Halloween after that first you. season came out was maybe the most bizarre thing I've ever experienced in my life. I was getting tagged in so many photos of people going as Barb. Um, even like people that I knew, like celebrities, like had dressed up as Barb for Halloween and like. Wow. Um, that was so weird. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing, but I was like, what the hell? I, I mean, I don't think any of us could have predicted what the show would be, but I certainly did not think I would get, like, any attention. I mean, I'm in, like, two episodes, and I die. I die really easy. I, I, I thought people would be like, oh, yeah, her, you know? I didn't think anybody would care. Yeah. First of all, the day that you shot your—because it wasn't really like a—you didn't have, like, a death scene. Yeah, I didn't get, like, the— you didn't get to see the life, like, leave my eyes, unfortunately. Right. I just get, like, dragged down, right. kicking and screaming. Fade in. Exterior. Steve Harrington's backyard. Night. Barb Holland sits all alone on the edge of the pool's diving board. All you can hear is an owl in the distance and the sound of her bare feet as she gently makes small circles in the water beneath her. Her thumb is wrapped in a napkin, which is being used as a bandage to control the bleeding from a cut she sustained earlier that evening. Feeling dejected, she takes a deep breath and sighs. A single droplet of blood seeps from the napkin and falls into the pool. Suddenly, the lights that lit up the pool are extinguished and a loud screeching extraterrestrial-like echo is heard. Before Barb has time to turn around, 
the Demogorgon attacks. Barba winks at the bottom of the pool, which is no longer filled with water, but with strange slimy vines and cobwebs. She is in the Upside Down. Nancy! Barb cries, her voice echoing. She turns around. The Demogorgon is there waiting. Desperate to flee, Barb runs towards the pool's ladder and tries to climb up. She's halfway out when the Demogorgon grabs her lower body. She grips the ladder's handrails and screams for help. But her cries go unheard as the Demogorgon drags her back into the pool and into her demise. Shooting that was so, so cool. It had all been, like, so fun, but I think that's when I realized, like the scale of what we were doing because they'd built this incredible set. It was like this this gross, like hollowed out swimming pool. There were like slimy vines everywhere and like the spores floating in the air, you know. Were there actual things floating in the air? Like mm-hmm. what was it? What did they use like for Like little that? feathers. Oh, yeah. Okay, feathers. Yeah. They really said, it wasn't, so I'm obviously they do like post sure, s- yeah. effects, but they gave you a lot of practical mm-hmm. shit to work yeah, with. Yeah, they gave awesome. me a, a lot to work with. and That's their deal. The Duffers are into that. Yeah, That's kind of the deal would, with that shit. Um, just like considering like their their love of like sci-fi and horror, I think they were probably like kind of purists about it, which I love because I'm, I'm so into like practical effects and stuff. Yeah. If you can, you know, I, I just, I think it makes all the difference in the world to like have something physically there. I just remember, like, walking onto that set, like, seeing the pool, like, seeing everything, and and also realizing that this scene was going to be, like, just me, you know? Like, I, I did have um, our, like, amazing creature actor who was, like, playing the Demogorgon. He was there, which was really cool. So that was fun. Um, but In a suit? In, like, a yeah, weird... Yeah, he was in, like, his cool, like, Demogorgon suit. It wasn't, like, there was a lot, I think, that had to be kind of added in added in post, you know, but like he had like the creepy like animatronic hands, like these long fingers and it was weird obviously because like there's like, you know, like the like the tulip like petal face but then like his actual face is just like right underneath (laughs) and so I'm just like, hey, nice to meet you and he's on like stilts it's like like this tall it's this huge thing Um, Was it like scale, like the costume was scale mm -hmm. demogorgon? Like how high was it? It must have been like pretty creepy and fucking. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, I I love like creature feature type stuff. I I just think that's so, so cool. I would imagine similar to like one of the folks from Aliens, like the Alien movies looking Mm. at that alien or one of them killing them. Yeah, he must have been like maybe 10 feet tall. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Which was really cool. So you um, shake hands, you're like, hi. Yeah, hi, he was really nice. You. He's a lovely, lovely guy. Stunt guy. Um, he's a, he's like a creature, like body actor, yeah. Got it, got it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just looked him up. His name is Mark Steger, and he won a SAG award for his portrayal of the Demogorgon. He is a super talented creature actor. Yeah, he's just really cool. I love, like, stunt actors and some performers and... Um, there's just so much work that goes into, like, a production that I think most people don't understand. But it was amazing, and then they got me into, like, my, like, gross, like, death makeup. I'm all, like, pale, and I have, like, blue veins all over. I look like I'm dying, essentially, and they <laughs> they fed me, like, baby food that I had to, like, cough up. 
Uh. Um, which was like gross, but like so fun. <laughs> like it was just like this whole thing. There was like slime everywhere. It was so like gross. And how are they directing? How do you act dead or act dying? Well, what was going through your mind? Well, I did as much of the stunts that I could and there weren't like a lot it was mostly like they had me to a harness they were like kind of like dragging me around which was really fun and in the show barb kind of like wakes up from like this like i don't know coma i guess um like coughing stuff up and realizes where she is and is freaking out obviously because it's scary as hell yeah then at one point she like she sees the demogorgon and but we don't know what happens to you that's yeah, the point yeah it becomes a big mystery yeah because she's like she's scrambling around she's trying to get out of the pool she thinks that she's gonna get out she finally like climbs her way up and then she gets dragged back down again yeah we all thought when we were watching it that she was gonna escape because that's like they're not gonna kill this character <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. I think a lot of people were holding out hope. They're like, you know, if Will survived down there, like maybe she did too. Yeah, how did that fucking kid survive? <laughs> and you know, that's bullshit. Good at hiding, I guess. It's very towards the end of that first season um, when we find we find you when there. When we find the body. Yeah. And nobody, was that you? No, that was a life cast, which was really cool. Okay. Um, so it was like a a mold basically they made of like my head to make this gross like rotting corpse which was honestly so cool so you went through that process of doing the cast the head cast or the whole body uh just the head cast yeah did they put stick straws up your nostrils and all that <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah i mean if if you don't know what that is basically they like make a mold of your entire head so they like put a bald cap on you and then they put basically like liquid like plastic like latex rubber like all over your skin to get an impression of your face and then they put like plaster on top of that to like hold the mold it, it's really heavy it ends up being like maybe like 25 pounds or something just like all around your head and how long do you have to sit there with that maybe an hour oh, like the whole process because it takes a while to apply everything it covers your eyes yeah covers, covers your, your mouth your mouth so all you have is your your nose. Are and you, I had a cold that day. Oh, I remember Jesus distinctly. Christ. It's always like, this might be how I die. Like I might <laughs> suffocate. <laughs> that this. is my nightmare to be like, have to, <laughs> is to come in uh, and like have to do a, a head cast and be like, yeah, this is how I'm going to die. You really, <laughs> you really have to enter like a place of like Zen. Like you have to yeah. just like meditate. You're like, I'm not going to die. <laughs> were they very sweet with you about it? I'm sure they were oh, talking so you lovely. through yeah. it. And they're like, it's a, you know, this is not going to be fun. Yeah, they were just like, raise your hand if you need anything. Like, we're right here. The folks who do that are always, like, the kindest, and they really understand what it's like for actors, and they're really cool about it. Yeah, they yeah. were they were lovely. It was so fun. The, the makeup, specifically, like, the, the makeup artists on that show were so lovely and so fun, and I think they could tell that I was just, like, so bewildered and, like, shocked about everything that was going on, and they were so sweet. I think a lot of actors probably relate in the sense that, like, Hair and makeup are kind of like your little like therapists. Hundred percent, always. Like God bless them. The secrets that those people oh, keep, absolutely, is unreal. <laughs> like the shit that gets talked about in those makeup trailers. Like I can't even begin. Yeah. It's amazing, <laughs> and how that doesn't leak out of there. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> they are honestly like MVPs. Love them. Yeah, so that can... was my last day of filming. Was was doing. I was that doing the scene. cast. So they're like, you are gonna die. We're making this cast out of you. Yeah. You said yeah. your goodbyes to your fellow actors and were like, okay, back to the movie theater, back to my life. Yeah, I shot that scene. I shot, like, the pool scene. And then everybody clapped. And I didn't know that that was a thing. Oh. When you rap, you know, everyone will 
like say picture wrap on Shannon and, and clap. And I was like, oh my God, I was so emotional. Like, oh, I, I, I did this. I really accomplished something. But then it was over, you know, and obviously you had to wait for the show to come out. So I think I had to wait like maybe five or six months after wrapping yeah. to, for the show to come out. So take us there. The show comes, the show out, comes out. And you were immediately a big deal. <laughs> Within like a few days, the show came out and I remember like, I stayed up because, it, you know, I think it, like, dropped at midnight. On Did Netflix. you watch with your yes. folks? Yeah. I, I stayed up and, like, watched the first season, or at least the first few episodes before I, like, passed out. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm on TV. Like, this is real. Freaking out. It was it was so magical. Did, like, people start calling you for, like, interviews? Did people, or, like, were yeah. you getting, like, things on social media? Like, was, was all of a sudden you had, like, a billion followers? Yeah. Like, I think, like, social media was definitely, like, the first clue that I had that something was <laughs> was going on. I think I had, like, maybe, like, 200 followers on Instagram before. And then suddenly it was, like, 30,000, 60,000, 100,000, 200,000. It just climbed so fast. And then, like, yeah, my Twitter blew up. People were tagging me things. People were posting GIFs. I think, like, John Stamos, like, tweeted about Barb, and I was like, oh, my God, I've made it. Uncle Jesse is, like, so talking good. about me. Um, <laughs> and you got an Emmy nomination. I did, yeah. <laughs> pretty bad. It's pretty crazy. I think one of the coolest things that happened was at the Emmys, actually. Um, I mean, obviously, like, just that whole experience oh, yeah. was so surreal. But I think Emma Stone was there, and I was a huge fan. I uh, still am. I think she's great. And... I was, like, so just in shock. I, I, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was so, like, embarrassed. I was like, oh, I'm not going to go up and be like, I'm a huge fan. But I did go up to her, and I was just like, oh, I really love your work. And I was like, you probably don't know who I am, but it's so nice to talk to you. And she's like, I know who you are. And I was like, what? <laughs> Knowing that Emma Stone knew who you were, there's something pretty cool about that. Yeah, that was huge for me. How was that Emmy's night? It's like a dream. It, it still feels like a dream. I was on an airplane when I found out that I got nominated. I had just landed, and you know, like you turn your phone on and all of the messages pop up. <laughs> and yeah, it was like ding, 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 up. ding, ding. Amazing. I got a call from my publicist, and she was like, You're nominated for Outstanding Guest Performer. I was like, What? I didn't know what to do. I just stood up on the plane. I was like, should I tell people? Should I like look around and be like, I just got nominated for an Emmy. And then so you were by like, yourself on a plane that. is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember I got off the plane and it was like God had blessed me. Uh, somebody with like a therapy dog was like walking by. Um, like a, a dog that was just like there for people at the airport to like hang out with. And I was like, can I please pet that dog? <laughs> like, I'm I'm very excited and very overwhelmed right now. And she was like, of course. So I was just like holding on to this golden retriever for dear life. I was like. You're like, sorry, I just got nominated for an Emmy. I really need to pet your therapy dog. <laughs> Literally, I was like. I was like, I, it's a lot of information to process. There's a lot And then they're like, on. aren't you Barb? <laughs> It was crazy, yeah. And then, of course, there was, like, the whole process of going to the Emmys and, you know, picking out a dress and inviting my mom. And that's maybe the most, like, surreal thing that I've ever experienced in my life. Being in this room, looking around, seeing, like, Meryl Streep over there. And you were 19 at that point? Yeah, I think I was 19. Maybe? I mean, Jesus. You've accomplished, like, at that point, you're like... I thought this would take a lot longer. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Listen, you're <laughs> preaching to the choir. Yeah. Every day I'm like, 
did I just like peak at the very beginning of my no, career? No, 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 no. Knockwood, <laughs> it was the right place at the right time. But like, we really didn't get enough time with you and you became beloved quickly. So the time between, and again, you know you're dead on the show. Yeah. So you And have, I keep trying to tell people, uh, you know. Oh, people would like, ask you like, where's Barb? And you're like, absolutely. I, I'm dead? Even, even up till like the third season, people are like, so she's coming back. And I was like, you saw her body. <laughs> she's dead. So they just think you you're fucking like with a, them? You saw like a little slug crawling out of her mouth. Right. Like, it's But not they're like, you, you're holding a secret and you're saying that to throw us off the scent, yeah. right? Because it's oh, all. Of course, yeah. yeah. Even now, there are a few stragglers who are like, season five, baby, she's coming back. And I'm like, all right. In the supernatural world, anything is possible, right? So like, there's a million ways Barb could come back. Sure, hypothetically, yeah. If they run out of ideas, like, she could somehow, like... But good for them for not trying to, like, you know, placate the fans too much and be like... No, I respect the Duffers a lot. I think they have, like, a lot of artistic integrity and they knew how the story was going to go. And I did hear later that, like, after season one came out, they had a discussion about Barb, and we're like, should we bring her back in season two? Because you were so popular, yeah. And they were like, ultimately, I think they stuck to their guns, and I really respect that. We've talked about how you've seen Barb Halloween costumes, but what are some of the more interesting fan interactions that you've had? I've seen people with tattoos, like Barb tattoos, which is so bizarre. It's just bizarre in general to see, like, my face on someone's skin. Forever. I'm like, do you want that for the rest of your life? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's an honor, honestly, but it's it's so weird, yeah. I've gotten proposed to a couple times. Oh, did you, what did you say? Um, Probably no. <laughs> Probably no. Uh, I think they were jokes. What I mean, if you one had of, said yes, One though? of them involved a ring pop, so that one I don't think was serious. Aww. But I'm like, for the photo, I'll say, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, So you might actually be legally engaged legally to several engaged people? Legally several in people world? in the world, maybe. Yeah. And then there was one guy who brought a puppet with him and wanted me to talk to the puppet. A- so. As Shannon or as Barb? Or <laughs> as me. Because the puppet was a big fan of Stranger Things? You know, it's funny. I just happen to have my puppet right now. <laughs> Imagine. I'd be like, well, this has been great. Hi, I'm Carl. <laughs> yeah. This is when Shannon runs Please. screaming from the studio. Um, thanks for choosing to do our podcast, <laughs> even though you don't talk about this all the time and uh, you chose the wrong one. I do think that there are a lot of people who are still, like, very attached to it. You know, I think more than anything else, I guess I do get, like, the, like, Riverdale comments, too, now. But people will just, like, shout Barb at me. And I'm like, yep. That's me. Hello. So, wait, you just segued perfectly because I, I did want to ask you about Riverdale. Now, for those unfamiliar with Riverdale, it's a modern adaptation of the Archie comics, which were published back in the 1940s. And uh, the show begins after a teenager is murdered in the town of Riverdale. And these kids, Archie, Jughead, Betty, Veronica, all the classic characters, they try to unravel the mysteries that happen in this very wholesome town. It's just like a bunch of very, like, pristine teens who, like, their biggest shenanigans is the dog got loose in the high school. You know, it's very... Uh, But also, like, the old school Archie is, like, stuck in a very patriarchal... Oh, yeah, ...kind of a thing where it's like, who does Archie choose between the blonde or the brunette? (laughs) I know, they're so different. Jesus Christ. Um, They have, like, Riverdale comics now. So it's like the Archie universe, but set in Riverdale as we know it now. It's just so funny because, like, here you go from one iconic character in Barb. Now you're (laughs) Ethel... Yeah. In Riverdale. So tell us, like, so how how does that come about? Like, yeah, for some reason. And tell us who Ethel is in the world of Archie. <laughs> for some reason, they're just like giving me the the grandma names. I've been like, yeah, Barb, I've been Ethel. Barb, I've been Ethel, I've been an Annabelle before. Like, they're just like, 
You're a throwback. I guess so, yeah. Ethel was Jughead's girlfriend, right? Ethel or the was, one who was obsessed with she Jughead. She was, like, obsessed with Jughead. She wanted him, never got him, which I think is is true in the show, too. So I think, like, right after Stranger Things came out, I didn't know if I was going to, like, continue to work. I was thrilled that, like, Barb had taken off as this character, but I didn't know if that would necessarily translate into, like, more work. But I got a manager who is wonderful and I'm still with today. And I flew out to L.A., took a bunch of, like, meetings with, like, agencies out here, and some like general meetings too. And one of them was at Warner Brothers, just with casting. And they were like, hey, like while you're here, the writer's room for this new show called Riverdale is here. And they're like, they're big fans. They want to meet you. And I was like, okay, cool. I didn't know what it was, like, what no. it was all about. <laughs> so I just went in and I said, hi, I met like the writers. And so the were, show hadn't come out yet? No, yeah. They so were, they've had you in mind for this part for a while. Yeah. Um, you, did you come in on the first season of Riverdale? Yeah, oh, you I've, I've been in almost every season. I usually come in for like two or three episodes gotcha. and like do some weird stuff and then I disappear again. Um, it's fun. I think I'm just like a wrench to like throw in the plans, you know, every now and then. So they basically offer you that role in the writer's room? Yeah. Room? They were like, yeah. we want you to play Ethel. That's cool. They were you. like, would you want to be on the show, basically? And I was like, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't even have to audition. They just gave me they just gave me the part. That is the best way to get a part. Now you're on Riverdale. Yeah. Well, I do music, too. I sing, so. Do you play anywhere in L.A.? Or Not just- officially, no. I, I've just, like, I've released a couple of things, and I'm, I'm working on some new stuff, too, but I haven't played any live shows yet. But that would be fun. Yeah, what kind, of, what kind of music is it? That's a good question. I don't really know how to describe it. I don't really know that I have, like, a specific genre. So I've done kind of, like, sort of jazzy stuff. But then I've also done more just, like, acoustic, like, folk type. I don't know. Like, I guess, like, I sort of feel like I have a Joni Mitchell vibe. Not to, like, flatter myself. I'm not Joni Mitchell. But, like, flatter away. in, in the, the realm, maybe, of Joni yeah. Mitchell. So you have, you've released some songs or an album? What do you yeah, have? Yeah, just a few singles. Plug something, man. I want to oh, hear it. Just, like, a few singles here and there. I haven't yeah. released, like, an album or anything yet. It's nice to have uh, another, like, creative outlet that isn't directly tied to, like, your work. You know, there's something, like, really, like, nice and refreshing about being able to be creative in a different way where you don't have to like it's it's not like your livelihood but i would love to do more of it in the future last but not least just give me your favorite death is there a death that like really affected you in the way that people as much as maybe or at least half as much as people were affected by barb's death okay 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 so i don't know if y'all have seen the never-ending story (laughs) oh my god uh wow guess Take a wild guess on who we just interviewed right before you. Who? Noah Hathaway. Oh my god. Betray you. What? But oh my like, god. I was obsessed with him. I was obsessed with that movie too. And I was like, when I found out he was coming in here, I was like, holy shit. But isn't that weird that did you have a crush on that kid? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Everybody 100%. did. He, like, yeah. I had a crush. He was on that so kid. cool. When the horse, oh my God. Ar- I Ar- believe Artax. That to this day, that death has traumatized me. Heartbreaking. Just Awful. I think like like quicksand, any type of like sinking slowly death is harrowing to me. So that has stayed with me and it will stay with me until I die. It was also devastating to lose Barb, but not devastating to have you here. I'm so happy that we made it happen and I'm so grateful. Thanks. No, thank you for having me. This has been really fun. It's, it's always nice to take like a little trip down memory lane. 
In fact, as a gift to our listeners, we are going to end this podcast with one of Shannon's singles called Don't Worry About Me, which you can find on Spotify, YouTube Music, Pandora, and Apple Music. So, play us out, Shannon. And so, dear friends, we gather here today to mourn the loss of Ms. Barbara Holland, daughter, friend, and fashion icon whose legacy will live on forever through oversized glasses and ruffled blouses. All right, listen up, all you screwheads. Join us next episode when we discuss Ash versus the Evil Dead. Oh, it's going to be groovy. A girl from Youngstown, Ohio got to go to And kill fucking, fucking demons in New Zealand, Bruce Campbell. Now, we'd love to hear from you. Get your feedback, and hey, if you like what you're listening to, we'd love a review or a rating. And if you have a favorite on-screen death, hey, we'd love to hear about it. Message us at Lionsgate Sound across Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you never know, we might feature it on the show. Playing Dead is hosted by Michael Nathanson. Hey, that's me! Produced by Charlie Webster. Written and produced by Jill Marie Hoffman. Edited by Aaron Florence. Executive producers Charlie Webster and yours truly, Michael Nathanson. Don't Worry About Me, written and produced by Johnny Hansen and Shannon Purser. Performed by Shannon Purser. Special thanks to Kyle Epler and Stephen Sletton. Produced by Lionsgate Sound and Magic Scope. Lionsgate Sound, engineered by Pilgrim Media Group. Don't